This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, February 17, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Critics of the Citizens United decision are regrouping to restrict and reform political speech. Among them, Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Lessig and New York Senator Charles Schumer. John Samples, director of the Cato Institute's Center for Representative Government and author of The Fallacy of Campaign Finance Reform, evaluates the complaints and the efforts at reform. This is what Lawrence Lessig writes in The Nation. If money really doesn't affect results in Washington, then what could possibly explain the fundamental policy failures relative to every comparable democracy across the world, whether liberal or conservative, of our government over the past decades? The choice made by Democrats and Republicans alike to leave unchecked a huge and crucially vulnerable segment of our economy, which threw the economy over a cliff when it tanked, as independent analysts again and again predicted it would, or the choice to leave unchecked the spread of greenhouse gases, or to leave unregulated the exploding use of antibiotics in our food supply producing deadly strains of E. coli, or the inability of the 20 years of small government Republican presidents in the past 29 to reduce the size of government at all. He's talking here about uh, the fact that money clearly uh, impacts outcomes in Washington. In this case, he's citing negatives of how money has impacted uh, policy decisions in Washington. Otherwise, I presume he means that these policy decisions would have been made quite a bit better. Yeah, the only thing one he leaves out that strikes me is 9-11 itself, uh, which a lot of people said, you know, it would have been easy to foresee and all of that. I mean, the things he mentions are affected by a number of things, lack of policy knowledge, and even when people suspect that there might be a problem, there's the problem of of politics itself. That is, if you do things that, uh, say, for example, stop uh, spending on mortgages to cool down that part of the uh, the economy, uh, it makes people unhappy. Had that been done in, in 2004, 2005, there would have been a political backlash. It, looking, uh, Professor Lessig is engaged in the classic case of hindsight bias here combined with uh, an extreme form of uh, monocausal explanation. That is, he looks back and says, well, all of this stuff was obvious at the time. Why didn't people stop it? Well, it must be because of money and politics. And some of it's just simply wrong. Uh, the banking crisis, for example, as I recall, was uh, an international and global in scope. It went across regulatory regimes and it went across countries. And the same is true of the other things he talks about. It's a classic case of uh, the kind of reasoning you find when people want to focus on one problem, one demon that causes all the problems. Now, he also says that um, the result of Citizens United may well be that a lot of new money enters politics. People will feel that they no longer have uh, as strong a voice when communicating with their lawmakers. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it will be these funders who drive policy, thus leaving regular folks, voters, to feel disenfranchised from the process and ultimately lose um, their respect for Congress as an institution. Right. This is an old argument about uh, rationale for uh, limiting or restricting campaign finance, the idea being that if uh, people are allowed to, in an unregulated way, spend money on politics, 
the public will look on and conclude that the government is not for the general good or something like that, but rather is being bought and sold. It's a story that's very uh, compelling in the sense in itself. It has an emotional appeal, certainly. The real question is, uh, and that should be asked, is, is it correct? That is, does the experience we have, and we measure it and try to think about it, does that actually bear the sort of emotional, pleasant story, as it were? Does it bear it out? And the answer is no. I mean, the the studies that have been done, uh, Jeff Milo and uh, Dave Primo did a study in the States that found that there wasn't much relationship or any relationship between uh, campaign finance regulations, except for disclosure and uh, trust in government or any or related kinds of feelings about government. Uh, other people have done studies that look at the factors that affect trust in government, campaign finance regulations, don't seem to have a lot to do with them. And if you look at how campaign finance, uh, trust in government has changed over time, um, It uh, what you see is that uh, it bears no general relationship to. For example, the two periods when uh, trust in government started to rise in the last 30 years were 1980 and 1994, which were marked by the appearance of new political forces, and they were spending money, Ronald Reagan, the class of 1994. Uh, but th- there wasn't anything that uh, there was a lack of that, that was associated with increases in trust in government, a kind of hopeful outlook. You know, I, when you study campaign finance for a while, you realize that there's a series of beliefs that are behind it. And they've been in place for 30 or 40 years, and they seem really quite immune to empirical testing. People have very deep commitments to them. And a very deep uh, lack of concern about whether they're actually accurate or not. More broadly, specifically with regard to whether or not people trust government, Lessig views that as a positive and says right. as much, but I don't, I don't understand what justifies the opinion that people ought to be more trusting of their government. Well, there's another scholarly literature uh, that has to do with trust in government, and many people on the progressive side of things uh, have come to the opinion that they can only have an expanding government, a kind of great society type period again, uh, if Americans trust in government. The reasoning here being uh, pretty simple and compelling, I think, which is Americans aren't going to support a vast increase in the size of government unless they believe that the government will do the right thing. It will help society in some ways, which is that's the way these uh, questions are asked on public opinion polls. Uh, So in a sense, underneath all of this is an assumption that uh, we want expansive government. We need to have trust in government to bring that about, and therefore we need campaign finance restrictions to bring about the trust in government. So in a sense, there's a deeper kind of uh, agenda uh, behind the kind of campaign finance uh, reform agenda, and it's one that has to do, I think, is profoundly against uh, libertarian views of uh, the proper role of government. What is Congress trying to do to get around the uh, Citizens United decision? What we've heard in the last few days is that, uh, you know, after a long period of deliberation of two weeks, uh, Congress uh, is introducing uh, uh, a bill 
uh, sponsored by Senator Schumer of New York and uh, Congressman Van Hollen of Maryland. Uh, Congressman Van Hollen happens to be chief fundraiser for the House Democrats uh, to respond to and, um, in a sense, to Citizens United and try to put some more restrictions on speech in place of those that were struck down. Uh, and basically, I mean, it's a very broad bill that has to do uh, – some of it is just sort of political grandstanding in my point of view. From my point of view, for uh, for example, uh, putting prohibitions on corporations spending on politics when there's a small percentage uh, are uh, foreign nationals. Uh, that's just an appeal, I think, to anti-foreigner bias, and I'm not sure it's even going to go anywhere. Uh, and then there is a specific uh, prohibition on companies that receive uh, TARP funding, uh, getting money, uh, being able to spend money. Uh, this, of course, is people didn't like the bailouts, which was sensible. But so you go after them with campaign finance legislation, the companies in question. That's just grandstanding. Government contractors are supposed to be uh, prevented from spending on political speech. The courts will almost certainly say, in the case of the contractors and the TARP recipients, that uh, Congress is enforcing an unconstitutional uh, condition on receiving government benefits. That is, you can't demand, if you give people money or, or, or whatever, you can't demand that they give up their First Amendment rights. It's an unconstitutional condition. The rest of it's interesting because it's an attempt, uh, by and large, to use disclosure to discourage people from exercising their First Amendment rights. Uh, there are several kinds of disclosure. One is that the CEO of a corporation uh, that was running an ad or engaging in political speech would have to go on at the end and say, I support this message. Now, there's a, the interesting part about this is there's a long history here that goes back to McCain-Feingold, where members of Congress clearly believe, rightly or wrongly, but they believe that if you force people to disclose uh, that they have funded an ad, they are less likely to run the ad, less likely to engage in speech. And as Senator McCain said um, at the time of McCain-Feingold, if you have disclosure of these ads, you'll have fewer of them. So they, members of Congress clearly believe that more disclosure leads to less speech. The problem they're going to face down the line if this passes somehow is that the Supreme Court, too, uh, recognizes that that's what Congress thinks is going on. And it's not too far uh, field to interpret uh, these kinds of aggressive kind of disclosure measures uh, as efforts to um, suppress speech and thus violate the First Amendment. Justice Thomas wrote a separate concurrence in the Citizens United case where he rejected this this notion that disclosure was okay, right? He did. I mean, the, there's a, Justice Thomas's concurrence uh, is a, a very striking attempt, I think, to point out that uh, disclosure of contributions and funding of speech, which is often thought to be a minimal kind of regulation and so on and so forth, actually has uh, and can have extreme cost. He examined, we had a, an experience in California during a hotly contested uh, constitutional amendment out there in which uh, the disclosure of people who had contributed to one side or the other of the, uh, the battle were subjected to all kinds of uh, threats and uh, really cost of 
So Justice Thomas, I think, is, ra- is, as he has in the past, is raising the question of whether disclosure should be cut back or is violating the First Amendment. Um, to me, it's pretty clear that Schumer-Van Hollen is an attempt to use disclosure in a very aggressive way with the hope that you will uh, raise the cost of political speech to those funding it, and therefore they won't, they'll think twice about speaking out. And I don't see how the court can ignore uh, the truth that uh, behind that, these, these kinds of efforts. John Samples is director of the Cato Institute Center for Representative Government and author of The Fallacy of Campaign Finance Reform. You can get John's new book, The Struggle to Limit Government, at Cato.org.